What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. Today on the show, we're talking pseudoscience. Did you know that sometimes people claim things are scientific, but, well, they're not? We'll be looking at some scammers, some flim-flammers, some people who claim things are scientific, but maybe they're not. Not really. So, science can sometimes be misused, especially evolutionary biology and psychology, which is often used as a way to justify certain moral or ideological stances. First, I would caution against using evolution as a moral compass. After all, if you listen to this podcast, you know that evolution is one twisted sister, full of murder, baby-eating, and cannibalism, body-snatching, and so on. Pop evolutionary psychology often makes spurious claims, like women like jewelry because we picked berries, and men like cars because of all the saber-toothed cars back in caveman times or whatever. And here's the thing, evolution isn't a linear, simple process. It's full of weird twists and turns, spandrels, detours, and pit stops that make tracing back the origins of behavioral traits extremely difficult. It's like trying to thread a needle through the roots of a tree, or if you'll allow another comparison, trying to thread a male duck's corkscrew wiener through a female duck's labyrinthian vagina. The point is, evolution is like a duck's puzzle genitalia. Twisted, freaky, and weirdly beautiful. But just because it's difficult to trace back human behavior to our evolutionary roots doesn't stop a lot of people from trying, and some of those people are, well, kind of bad at it. They cherry-pick from the evolutionary tree to justify their cultural preferences, often with hateful consequences. Joining me to talk about some of the pseudoscientific flim-flammery is Katie Stoll and Cody Johnston, hosts of the podcast Even More News, producers of Some More News, and also they've got some kind of new podcast... That's true. right, we do. It's true. It's <laughs> yeah. called The Worst Year Ever here with iHeartRadio. With iHeartRadio and uh, other hosts on their shows, Robert, Robert Evans, Evans of Behind the Bastards fame. It'll be uh, premiering uh, soon. In, soon, September well, I, 20-something. Yeah? It's going to be premiering before you hear this yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. I would Probably, imagine. Yeah, yeah it's so. available now for you to download you, and listen to. Yeah, we're the hosts of fan favorites, mm-hmm. uh, Worst Year Ever. <laughs> available now in the future, but not in the future. 
future when you hear this in our future in, your in our past. current future loaded your current past and yeah. your current future mm-hmm. yes. and your current present cool yeah so i, I chose this topic because i actually feel like we've uh you guys like i've talked to you guys about my frustration with uh pseudoscience mm-hmm. I, I i just wanted to take this opportunity to, to debunk a lot of the evolutionary psychology and pseudoscience that seems to kind of plague our political discourse now yes. oh, i love it i'm, I'm so thrilled. excited um First of all, uh, you know a guy named Jordan Peterson? He's my my favorite special boy. We sure do. (laughs) We're very familiar. With the Canadian gentleman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a a psychologist, and he makes a lot of claims that aren't really, you know, backed in... uh, Facts? Jordan Peterson? No kidding. Yeah. Jordan B. Peter- Jordan Balthazar Peterson? <laughs> I thought it was for bad boy Peterson. Old man Peterson. He has an appeal. I can I get it because he kind of talks like a dad. Mm-hmm. And he tells you things like clean your room and stand up straight. And those are solid advice. And then he gets into like weird like gender and race science. Yeah. He's, oh, got, yeah. Very, he's got very specific views that uh, go back to... Uh, his like whole his whole worldview is very interesting and in where it comes from and his uh, his upbringing, but like he really tries to push it based yeah. off of like random cherry picked facts. But you know, when he talks about his all meat diet, that I think <laughs> we can accept as being based in science, right? That that's good for depression. Beef and water, yeah. Beef uh, and water for your depression. Uh, only if you're eating. We actually talked about this on last podcast. Oh, you did. You can only have an all meat diet if you like to eat raw meat and raw fish oh, sure. and uh if you basically follow a very strict diet based on uh, uh some inuit cultures where you you got to eat like raw organs to mm-hmm. get vitamin c mm. um and they don't even eat it like uh, the entire year there it's like 60 percent of the year is the it does seem like something he would uh be a proponent of though back go get back to like you kill the animal and yeah. eat it all it's just that there's but can no, you imagine him killing the animal? No, he wouldn't. <laughs> There's no evidence to suggest this is healthier, just that we can do it. Right. It's, you know? po- it's possible to survive it's possible in that to way. Do it. Yeah. yeah. It's, I don't recommend it because, uh, as I talked about last time, if you do it wrong, you can die of malnutrition. Like if you eat only rabbits, you can starve to death because rabbits do not contain enough nutrients to sustain you. So uh, Wait, it can go very wrong. So his... Not a nutritionist daughter is wrong about this meat and water diet. My mind is blown. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, if it's t- completely right that you should. Dr- I'm not familiar with what the meat and water diet is. I is that. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't, don't even think fish is included. Do they? Are they supposed to cook the meat? It's or? beef. It's beef. It's just beef. It's, um, it's just beef and water. Beef and water and salt. I don't think that's. Yeah, I, I'm not. I mean, look, I'm I would, not a nutritionist, but I don't think you can I think or should. Can, I think we can rule it out as as being not true. Um, <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk about, which I think is kind of his more one of his more viral moments, is uh, his opinion on lipstick in the workplace. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, what is it? So here's here's a quote. This is from an interview. So I've cut out some of the like back and forth, like answer questions. But this is a uh, this is what he says. He says, quote, here's a rule. How about no makeup in the workplace? Why should you wear makeup in the workplace? Isn't that sexually provocative? Why? Why do you make your lips red? Here he gets very confrontational. He's like, why? Why do you make your lips red? Because they turn red during sexual arousal. That's why. Why do you put rouge on your cheeks? Same reason. 
Um, and he's in, in the interview, they're discussing sexual harassment, and Jordan Peterson is saying, can men and women work together? I don't know. I, I don't hate know. it. I don't know if they can. He doesn't know. Um, he doesn't know the. We don't know the rules yet. Right. We don't know the um, rules. In the yet. same in that same conversation, he also complains about uh, how one of the rules at his university was to have open door meetings with students. Right. And he will not abide by that rule. So uh, th- we don't know the rules yet, but also we do, and he doesn't like them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so. uh, unbelievable. Yeah. No. That that whole quote makes me so angry when I hear it. It's he like, also he also thinks that a woman who wears makeup in the workplace who doesn't want to be sexually harassed is being hypocritical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. So obviously uh, this is bad because of moral well, reasons. Obviously Many you reasons. haven't um, seen 90 hours of his lecture, <laughs> so you don't understand what he's really saying. Well, and, and it's funny because like an interviewer asked him again, like she was wearing red lipstick and she asked him what it means and he said, you're enhancing signals of youth and fecundity. Oh. Uh, which is a very normal way to talk about mm-hmm. things. Dislike that word. <laughs> so, but uh, I often hear the refrain "reels before feels." Uh, facts don't care about your feelings. Sure. That kind of stuff. So let's let's look at the facts, you guys. Ooh. Let's look at those. Also, damn before facts. we get into the facts, I just like. What about like black lipstick? What about like colors that he's not referring right. to? What Interesting about... you bring that up, Cody. Oh, God. No. I may, <laughs> in fact, have something about that okay. in just a minute here. <laughs> Never mind. That. If you just wait. I'm so Stop sorry. Stop ruining this, Cody. <laughs> um, so studies do indicate that women with redder lips are considered more attractive. Uh, it's been conjectured that this is due to sexual arousal and health, but there's an obvious problem with this conclusion. And when they do a study like this, it's like they say, oh, maybe it's because of this. They don't really know. They yeah, can't yeah. prove that. But one of the issues is that men and women's, when we're, you know, doing the sex, both of our lips get red. It's not like it's not. only women. Um, and their face also their faces also get flush. You know when else people's faces get flushed? When you're walking, when you're embarrassed, <laughs> when you're excited about something, when you're I having an emotion. I am attracted to embarrassed people. <laughs> oh, I like sure. to humiliate people. It's very attractive when someone's really awkward socially and going like, ah, oh, jeez. Uh, mm-hmm. uh. <laughs> yeah, I wear yeah. makeup because I want to look nervous. I'm a, cr- <laughs> right, I'm a cringe exactly. sexual. Yeah. Right. Um, and in fact, lipstick has been worn by men throughout history. So this idea that it is strictly a gender mm-hmm. thing yeah. is... Uh, uh, not necessarily true. I mean, boys wear dresses. <laughs> <That's>, like, <laughs> that is true. But it also, this idea that redness is associated with sex, that itself is not necessarily true. So there's a study that examined this, and they explored the idea that red lips are associated with sexual arousal and uh, red genitals, which is okay. interestingly one of the theories is that, oh, red lips are supposed to look like... A red right. vulva, I guess. Well, I'm always Not putting a red lipstick, vulva, but a yeah. 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 I'm always putting lipstick on my vagina. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, gotta gotta get that vagina on fleek, I guess. <laughs> um, so they found that in heterosexual men, and I'm sorry, a lot of these studies are heteronormative. The redder vulvas were less attractive. Uh, so they they oh. had like these photoshopped images of women's. Uh, vulvas and they made them redder or less red and the ones that were redder were deemed less attractive uh, I guess because they don't want like Rudolph the reindeer vaginas sure. I, I yeah. don't know yeah um, so uh, the study so the researchers said quote we found in fact that men showed a strong aversion to redder female genitals which is not a sentence I normally mm. like to say <laughs> 
Anyways, the researchers continue, quote, this, this study shows that the myth of red as a proxy for female genital color should be abandoned. This view must be replaced by careful examination of precisely what the color red in clothing, makeup, and other contexts is actually signaling to men. What it isn't signaling is female sexual arousal. Um, so, you know, that's not to say that it, I don't necessarily think that that study proves a negative like it doesn't mean that there can't be any context in which red lips uh signal sexuality but to just reduce it to it's like oh you know we see flushed bodies as more attractive because it's sexual it's making that connection is very tenuous yeah i mean you could say people wear that rougey lips or pink lips for a youthful blush something like that but like you said earlier like yeah what about the blue lipstick, the other things. Like, it's about it's so much more than that. <laughs> right. And so speaking of which, uh, throughout history, both men and women have worn lipstick for a variety of cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ancient Sumerian men and women wore lipstick made of crushed gemstones, which sounds hard to... That does. It does yeah. It's painful. But Maybe ancient, exfoliating. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's true. Um, ancient Egyptians used red lipstick to show status rather than gender demarcation. Uh, red lips was traditional, but orange, magenta, and blue-black were also popular colors to show your social status. There is more than one color. Exactly. During the Roman Empire, lipstick was also an indicator of social status and not gender. Purple lip color became popular amongst women, in addition to the kind of more traditional red. In Germany and Britain, during the Dark Ages, orange lipstick was all the rage. So that was the most popular lip color. In England, during the Middle Ages, religion made red lipstick fall out of style as it was unnatural and going against God's plan. Instead, women would wear rose tints as that was associated with purity. And during Edward IV's reign in England, both men and women of the court would wear lip color. And so, as you can see throughout human history, first of all, it's not strictly associated with gender. It's also not just red lipstick. Uh, Yeah, there's so many variables. This is why he's he and people like him are so interesting to me because they they skip everything. They take this this little bit that they assume about evolution. And they look at mo- the modern day and what they don't like about it. Right. And they skip all culture and all of history. Right. And uh, make their conclusion. Yeah, because they trust that most people aren't going to go and look back at history and like right, fact right. check. <laughs> right. And even when you look at the animal kingdom and you look at their both the use of uh, makeup, which is very rare, but when it happens, it's quite funny. Uh, and just the presence of red lips. Uh, it's more complex than just being like a sexual indicator. So we've actually talked about this before, but I think it's a really important example. It's the uh, snub-nosed monkey. Uh, they're old world, love, <laughs> old world monkeys who live in China. They're really weird looking because they lack nasal bones. So they kind of have a no-nose look mm. and then they have really juicy lips uh and the males are the ones that have the juiciest lips so the all right reddest. calm down what no, what they're uh they live uh at really high altitudes so that's why they don't have a nose because their nose would get frostbite otherwise oh, so they're just like mm. they're just like well we don't need a nose then <laughs> so their plump red lips may be a sexual selection thing to show uh sexual availability but the older the male the redder the lips so First of all, it's not youth. It's not showing youth and virility. It is thought to also be a dominance signal. So Mm -hmm. like I'm older, I'm more dominant. And so that... It's like the status thing. Right, exactly. Right. And again, like these are, we're not, these aren't our like 
uh, direct ancestors. So any conclusions you draw from these monkeys is specific to these monkeys. You can't right. necessarily apply it to, to human That's beings. That's the other thing. They extrapolate so many things from just like, they pick any animal. Right, and exactly. Like, oh, I like that about that animal. Right. That means we got to... This suits whatever all. I want to yeah. say. Right. <laughs> you know. And I mean, like, so take an animal that's very distant from us, like birds. So bearded vultures uh, will use iron-rich soil to give them a blush, basically, a reddish hue. It's such a Um, trip. And, we talked uh, about this the last time I was on here, I think. Uh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. It'll enhance their red hue, and the older the... The older the vulture, as you may remember, like the more red it is. And so it's not just to attract mates, although that's part of it. It's also to signal their dominance. So their social status, which I think is interesting because throughout human history, it's been a signal of social status. Obviously, we didn't evolve from vultures. We didn't evolve from birds. But would you say that the desire, the instinct to paint yourself uh, to decorate yourself in certain ways as a form of attraction, as a form of like expression is very natural amongst many species. It could be. I mean, it's something that obviously doesn't occur in a lot of species. Yeah. Like, mo- like most animals don't necessarily decorate themselves. But you can also make the argument that uh, birds who are attractive, which are typically the males, the females are typically more drab, a little browner and blend in with their environment yeah. more so that they don't stick out and it's a protective uh, technique, but the males are really beautiful and yeah. vibrant, vibrant, many different colors. And the idea, there's this more, it used to be like, oh, this is just an honest indicator of their fitness. But um, more recently, the idea is that like, maybe it's just the females thought it was pretty and yeah. liked it. And mm. it's this, um, it's a sexual selection that's for aesthetic preference and right. not just fitness. So it's not just yeah. an honest indicator of fitness, but it's also they are stimulated by those colors and they like them and then they select them. And that's how you get these crazy birds that, in fact, their plumage can sometimes be have a negative effect on their overall right. fitness. So I think this is I mean, this is one of the problems with looking to evolution for answers. It's so complicated and you have so many different reasons for you you can have parallel evolution like a bird putting blush on right Uh, or a decorator crab decorating itself but the decorator crab is doing it to be camouflaged like it's it'll pick up little bits from its environment and put it on it'll like wear jewelry if you give it a, a pearl necklace it'll put it on because it's it just thinks it's part of its environment. Right, it looks it's like sea to, junk or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So another problem with looking uh, to evolution for answers is that culture is a huge influence, and it's really difficult to separate like what's biological and what's cultural evolution, even in animals. So we've seen this in uh, primates. So savanna baboons in Kenya are often aggressive bullies. Uh, Dominant males will attack subordinate males and they'll bully females basically to get their way. They'll bully them into submission. And I think it's often thought that this is like an innate behavior. It's an instinctive thing that the baboons do. But there's some evidence to contradict this. So a troop of savanna baboons found themselves suddenly rid of their most aggressive males. The dominant males had been aggressive enough to fight their way into a garbage dump and eat all the spoils. And in a karmic twist, uh, this gave them bovine tuberculosis. No. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> wah, wah. That's what you get. Just just the bullies? Just the bullies because mm. they were the only ones that were able to like fight their way to yeah. the garbage dump. Uh, so uh, they died off. Uh, and now 
the troop was populated by females and subordinate males, and they became more peaceful and pro-social. So when they wanted things from each other, instead of like smacking each other, mm. they would groom each other and like display affection and kind of just it's a lot nicer, yeah. a lot more yeah, more peaceful. <laughs> And then this new pacifist culture has lasted over two decades. So even after most of the original males have died off and been replaced by new males, uh, the newcomers are being taught the pacifist lifestyle by the females. So these, uh, like a lot of animals, these even though the males will display, like the aggressive males will sort of dominate maybe, um, the females form the core of the troop because they don't, migrate away from their natal homes and it's the males that will disperse and migrate around so they kind of have the core of the culture so yeah. so if they enforce this idea of being peaceful and then new males come even when all the original males die off and new males are coming around the females are creating this culture of being nice yeah, just being chill culture, so right gonna, exactly yeah. And this even happens in interspecies interactions. So captive rhesus monkeys, who are typically kind of aggressive, were raised with peaceful sump-tailed monkeys, and they learned to be more gentle. And they, according to the researchers, they engaged in hip-hugging as a form Aww. of where they, like, touch each other's hips, and they're like, like I That's like you. Adorable. That's yeah. so intimate and sweet. It's very <laughs> cute. And other things, not just aggressiveness, but just other kind of cultural things, like certain uh, groups of chimpanzees learn to, like, tickle themselves. Uh, mm. Last time on the podcast, we talked about potato dipping monkeys, monkeys uh, in Japan who would dip potatoes in salt water. Or, these were macaques, and they copied a female macaque that would dip potatoes in salt water and eat it. And then that propagated throughout their whole whole thing. And now even though all the original monkeys are dead, they yeah, still do that. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and different uh, groups of primates who use tools will use different kinds of tools. And it doesn't really seem to track with like their environment necessarily. It's just like a preference. So some of them will use, say if they're cracking open nuts, some of them will use rocks, some of them you'll, will use like sticks and stuff. And it seems to just depend. It's like learned culturally. So I think it's we when we think about animals, we think about their behavior as being this static, unchanging thing right. determined by their biology, which is it can be the fact. It's often the fact that animals are born with some kind of instinct. But I think in them, especially the more intelligent animals, you see that influence of, of if not culture, at least learning certain habits right. from their cohorts. Yeah. Yeah. Shared behavior sort of transferring over there. It's also like there's a thing I think that. It also happens where it's this assumption that anything that has come about from evolution is, means it's automatically good. Right. As opposed to just, well, that's how it happens. Right. Exactly. Right. Because, not- I mean, you know, if you I, I hope that the people who listen to this regularly uh, have this sense of like how screwed up evolution is. Right. Right. You know, just eating babies, uh, mm. you know. Killing each other, cannibalism, nothing that would track to like morality, really. Exactly, right? Yeah. Unless you think that stepfathers should kill all the existing children like lions do. Um, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I'll have to think about it, but. Gotta, gotta think about it. My snap judgment is no. <laughs> I mean, that sounds dicey to me, but. Yeah. It's, it's questionable, you know? I mean,. But it's, like you said, it it really is kind of a, it's not a moral compass evolution. Yeah. It is what it is. And one of the great things about being humans is we kind of get to rise above just Right, like we can this, change our behavior. Right. We can make value judgments and things like that. That's why, like, even despite all of this stuff, when I hear that 
Peterson argument about lipstick, my reaction is, so what? Right. Right. Even if, so what, man? Even if it was true, which, like I explained, is right, probably exactly. not yeah. true. Yeah. At yeah. least there's no, there's not any definitive evidence that it's true. There's always a chance that there there could find yeah, some connection. He has connection. a feeling right. that he wants to be true. A feeling that he wants to be yeah. true. But, he, right, even if it is, like, so what? We can We get to change like we've seen throughout history, how lipstick use has changed, you know, from right. orange to purple uh, to like mean different things. We get to do that. That's it's just there's a there's a lot of reasons. There's not just one. And we are evolved people that know how to control our impulses. People wear lipstick literally everywhere. So, yeah, that's true. That's very well stated. Also, like even with that, it's like so if you want to ban lipstick from workplaces, do you want to b- ban like shoulder pads and like stuff that <laughs> like you know, I do like, actually because of the uh the kind of door situations where you're trying to brush past someone and their their shoulder, shoulder pad, pad smacks mm-hmm. you in the face I think that's specific to like your height range our height range people <laughs> but yeah 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 you can take our lipstick but you don't get to wear your shoulder pads that's a good compromise It seems that testosterone pills are flooding the market. These promise to prevent you from becoming a, quote, soy boy, a term for someone with low testosterone based on the erroneous, unscientific idea that eating soy lowers your testosterone. The idea is that high testosterone will make you more manly and attractive, but is this actually true? Researchers at the biology department of the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg at least found this not to be true for heterosexual women. They showed women images of men's faces that were digital altered to mimic the variation of facial differences due to testosterone levels. They found that while women did perceive the high testosterone individuals to be more, quote, dominant, this had no effect on their perceived attractiveness. Another study conducted at the University of Aberté Dundee in Scotland took pictures of men and measured their testosterone levels. Then they had women rate the men's faces. They found that there was no link between actual testosterone levels and perceived attractiveness, masculinity, or health. So maybe you shouldn't be taking testosterone supplements to try to look more manly, as it could lead to heartbreak, literally. The FDA warns that testosterone supplements can cause heart attacks and infertility. God. (laughs) So, you know, maybe those, uh, is Alex Jones still hawking those pills? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's got it all. Oh, my God. And the the gorilla mindset. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, and actually, you guys, if you want to be gorilla-like, you're going to have very small genitals. Right, you're going to have small genitals and you're going to, like, eat your own shit. (laughs) (laughs) Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier, connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Sometimes pseudoscience can have dire consequences. The Bell Curve is a book that was written by psychologist Richard J. Herrnstein and political scientist Charles Murray. It makes a variety of claims that have received criticism, such as intelligence being more heritable than determined by socioeconomic status, and that races differ in intelligence. It's often used in a racist, social Darwinist context to justify inequality by claiming that there are inherent, static, biologically determined differences in intelligence, which determines our, quote, ranking in society. Often when a controversial claim such as this is criticized, critics are accused of putting feelings before facts. But hey, guys, let's take a look at those facts. I would love to. <laughs> Very exciting. <laughs> so um, I think this is one of those uh, flashpoint things where it's like this book has been often used as like oh political correctness gone mad on mm-hmm. college campuses because students don't like for him to come speak and, and they they there's a lot of criticism of this book and it's kind of held aloft as like oh well science should be controversial and the problem <laughs> with this example <laughs> science shouldn't be anything right exactly like, science should just be uh, you know scientific yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so. The book has been criticized by scientists for various methodological issues, uh, as well as for their erroneous interpretations of the data. So Stephen Jay Gould, uh, who was a Harvard evolutionary biologist and major contributor to the field of evolutionary biology, had some pretty harsh critique of the book. Uh, He said that the main argument of the book was based on four false unproven assumptions. So first, it's that intelligence must be reducible to a single number. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like um, that IQ is yeah. the absolute determinant of intelligence. Right. Doesn't he likens it to like soil, like the pH level in soil, or like the quality right. of soil. Where it's Does like he? Just, yeah, where it's like you look at soil and like, oh, that's 12. Yeah. And that's like meaningless. Well, it's I do. Like so I, many... like, I like my men like I like my soil. A number. A number. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the second assumption is that intelligence must be capable of rank ordering people in a linear order. So, like, you know, it's just like this. Lin- the more 
the higher your number, the more intelligent you are. And there's no like, if you're smarter than a person, you're just absolutely smarter than them. Not that like, hey, you may be better at math, but they're better at not getting run over by cars right, 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 right. Um, or, you know, like they're, be- they're better at looking at like someone's feeling and going, what if I look that up? Right. Or even like if you're good at math, you could be bad at evolutionary biology. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not just like arts versus sciences. It's just various intelligence and very it's it's a multifaceted thing. Intelligence It's not just one mm-hmm. thing. The other assumption is that intelligence must be primarily genetically based, and then also that intelligence must be essentially immutable, so it doesn't change. You're born with it. You you die with it, basically. Right. As we'll discuss, <laughs> these assumptions are not only unproven, but there's actually scientific evidence that contradicts them. Love it. So, uh, let's see. First of all, one of the problems is that it's... So they make the assumption that racial and gender differences in test scores must be due to genetics rather than social influences. Um, They claim that when compared to the influences of socioeconomic status, the biological influence is greater. But the way they reach this conclusion is extremely flawed. Mm. Uh, First of all, it's almost impossible to control for cultural influences on IQ unless you like, uh, you know, go with Elon Musk's wet dream and drop some people off at Mars as babies and then just have them like grown up in a sterile environment. Yeah, but even out. then they would develop their own culture mm-hmm. and because we're humans and it's just like so... Uh, and still be based off right. of like the culture that brought them there. Right, exactly. And, yeah. So you can't... You, It's one of the biggest problems with uh, evolutionary psychology is it's so hard to separate culture as a uh, conflicting variable. So here's an example of that in action. There's a known phenomenon in psychology called stereotype threat. It's where your test score is affected by just being reminded of your gender or your race. An, An example, a study found that students who were women or black or Latino, Latina, did significantly worse on tests just by being reminded about who they were. Yeah. Being reminded that of their gender or their race. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the same uh, demographic of students who weren't given that. Yeah. Um, Interesting. This has been uh, reproduced a few times. And sometimes it's even like if you remind boys and girls of the difference in uh, their performances in math, like they'll do Right, reinforces things. You tell them this is what it is. Right. That makes perfect sense to me. Right. And it bums me out. (laughs) (laughs) Another problem uh, with this uh, book, which is. got a lot of it's it's a it's a, it's a book of problems yeah that's the th- yeah that's the thing with this book we're like you just gotta you have to delve into every single right bit right and, and i'm not gonna i'm really not gonna be able to i don't have time to we literally <laughs> right. don't have the studio time to debunk this entire book but there are a lot of problems but one of them is that the bell curve art authors pointedly don't control for education levels mm-hmm. um they make the assumption that education is a result of iq and therefore is not an independent variable and the, that they is know that, so like, maddening we base our school funding on the wealth of the people that live there did they mention that in the book mm, i think there was like two footnotes about it Jeez. so at the same time this doesn't stop them from studying socioeconomic factors but then they exclude education so i think the problem with this is kind of evident this essentially has a minimizing effect on the power of wealth by like excluding 
education right. as a factor uh, and the ability to pour more resources into education because someone who goes to it's this idea that someone who goes to a fancy school goes there because they have a higher IQ and they have a higher IQ because they're born with it rather than maybe um, their education from a very young age has been better right and they're going to these better schools and as they get older and older, like, yeah, maybe their IQ is going up because they're getting better education. So they wind up at these, you know. Right. And I mean, the, the brain is the most malleable very early on. And like if you're if you're a baby, what happens to you in the first three or four years of your life is going yeah. to greatly affect that. And yeah. I mean, it's you see that very markedly with, say, um, children who are in some ways, either severely neglected or somehow accidentally excluded Mm -hmm. from society. Mm -hmm. So like children who are uh, just grow up in the woods, very rare cases, but they cannot learn language. If you don't acquire language as basically a baby and toddler and you're not around uh, other people and you don't pick up language, you you can't really learn it. Maybe you can learn one or two words, but it really, you have this crystallization period as a very young Person. So, and the fact that we pick up on so much in terms of culture and uh, language and all these things from a very young age, we're just little sponges that soak up uh, everything around us to try to separate that out from the effects later in life is, it's very difficult. It's very tricky. Yeah. So, uh, even just like the nuts and bolts of their statistical methodology has been called into question, they concluded that the heritability of intelligence is around 60%, but Carnegie Mellon st- statisticians, that's cool, but <laughs> Carnegie Mellon statisticians used the same studies um, that were in the bell curve and subjected them to a new meta-analysis and found that only around 34% uh, mm. heritability uh, which is a pretty massive difference. That's a yeah. real big difference. Um, which suggests that their findings would suggest that intelligence is primarily not uh, yeah. inherited. Which also makes sense. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's not – I don't even know if this study is definitive because they, they're they just studying these studies that are in the bell curve. So right. it's it's essentially saying that, you know, the the statistics that the authors in the bell curve came up with may not be <laughs> right so you have reliable. like the data they ha- the data they have might not be reliable but also the way they interpreted the data was right. not necessarily correct right i mean at every step basically like the the data collection may not have been reliable the the statistics that they ran on the data may not have been good and then the conclusions they draw from it have a lot of assumptions right. you know this sounds like a irresponsible book a little it bit be it's interesting that it's mainly just this book and then a bunch of other people saying the book is wrong as opposed to more and more people writing books like that. Yeah, I mean, that is a little bit interesting. Uh, although, I mean, if you believe that, then you believe in climate change and that the like... That's true. Wow, t- right. handful <laughs> of scientists who are saying it's not a big deal are like not not true. Is that... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that what, that, it, that is what that would if, mean. If, I see. If, uh, a thing, if a thing is against uh, the scientific consensus, that means that thing is right because, um, I don't know if you've because heard. Because they're one, brave. Well, because at one point uh, we thought that the Earth uh, was actually uh, the center of, of the the universe. The is galaxy, it not? The, the solar system. And everything uh, revolved around the Earth. And someone was like, ah, ah, ah. And they were right. <laughs> Therefore, anything that's controversial right. 
it means that um it's, uh, it's, 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 it's right because yeah. that thing that example i gave was actually right. uh, before the scientific method was developed now tell me was that before or after we were wiping our buttholes with our like thumbs it's it's undetermined i feel like it was probably around the <laughs> I around think it's the concurrent. time yeah around the time um it's although just, we're not supposed to do that that's just i i hear that so often. Okay, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's another issue with the book, and also just with this kind of ideology in general, is that research has found um, repeatedly that genetically speaking, between group differences, like between different races or regions, are on average less than between individual right, differences. Right. So the difference between me and you, like you butt scraping people, mm-hmm. is probably greater than me and some random person in another country, hopefully. Um, (laughs) In fact, differentiating uh, between races based on genome is not really straightforward. We're a really young species. We're like 100,000 years old. So a lot of the differentiations that we see between different races and ethnicities are skin deep, like literally. Dr. J. Craig Venter, head of the uh, Solero Genomics Corporation in Rockville, Maryland, says that, quote, race is a social concept, not a scientific one. We all evolved in the last 100,000 years from the same number of small, the same small number of tribes that migrated out of Africa and colonized the world. Um, the number of genes and alleles that control external exper- appearance like skin color are very few and have like really drastic effects. So right. those kinds of genes that you know can like change the pigment of your skin. It's like it, it's a lot more. Just a few genes can have a much yeah. more drastic effect in terms of your appearance versus the many many genes that are thought to control intelligence, which are it's we don't even really understand right. it at this point. And they point. also interact with each other and right. your environment. Right, and, right. It's yeah. much more complex. So it's like. The idea that intelligence would somehow be just as easily mutable as like skin color is kind of ridiculous. And a study published in 2007 in uh, the journal Genetics by Witherspoon and all. I didn't know Reese was a Yeah, you know, she's really a jack of all trades. She gets her little fingers in everything. She really is. Pulling a reverse goop. (laughs) (laughs) So um, they found that random individuals within a population are far more genetically dissimilar than the average difference between two groups. So, I mean, that's kind of what I said earlier. The chance that you're just more, it's like you take two random people in a population, they're going to be more dissimilar than the kind of group differences between like an entire population. Um, But they also found often like a random individual from one population will be more similar to a random individual in another population than within their own region. So mm-hmm. it's basically just kind of confirming the the previous finding that like, you know, I have a good chance of being more similar to someone like in Australia than I, I am than to anyone to, in this room. Yeah. Even Thank if we do God. have the same <laughs> <laughs> No. So uh, now... <sighs> is the part of the show that I really kind of don't want to talk about, but it's eugenics. Ooh. Yep, it's the Nazi stuff. Yeah, the Nazi uh, stuff. You kind of have to talk about it, even though it's very upsetting. Yeah. It's a viciously racist and bigoted ideology. It's the same kind of genocidal rhetoric used to justify the Holocaust. And the justification for this hate, it's like the, the hatred of Jewish people predated the Holocaust, and they just kind of used that as a way to mm-hmm. justify it. My Jewish side of the family was ousted 
from Russia for just because they didn't like Jewish people. Right. Uh, and then like later there there was all this like pseudoscience like, oh, well, it's because of this. Yeah. So um, not only is eugenics morally terrible and indefensible, it's also just wrong. Right, right. So the presence of recessive genes and alleles and also spontaneous mutations mean that you can't like do a Gattaca. Like you can't get a Gattaca situation. You can't effectively get rid of certain traits because they will basically kind of, we have like a genetic library and we can kind of, we can have variations within that genetic library, but without like evolving over millions of years, Mm -hmm. we can't drastically alter that library to exclude certain traits. So even back in 1915, this had already been discovered. So we really had no excuse. Um, There was a study that found that red-eyed fruit flies uh, without a history of any white eyes, uh, blue dragon, (laughs) uh, it's a Yu-Gi-Oh card game uh, (laughs) joke. uh, Very, uh, yeah. Um, So (laughs) they were able to give birth to white-eyed fruit flies despite the fact that they didn't have previously these red-eyed genes just due to spontaneous mutation. Over millions of years, you can have an accumulation of mutations that uh, change your genetic mm-hmm. library, but you you can't like eliminate. Right, you can't the switch it because it's it's like a it's kind of a memory, right? Like right, you... right. So like uh, an example is um, what you're kind of thinking of. I think is atavistic traits where you can have an evolutionary throwback sort of spontaneously pop up right, again, right. like having supernumerary nipples, mm-hmm. which used to be. Th- Thought to be supernumerary, supernumerary, like an extra nipple. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which used to be thought to be a trait of witches that they had these extra nipples to feed Hell their yeah. familiar, which were de- demonic animals. Yeah, they're little yeah. demons. Um, they're demons. <laughs> but it, it really is because, like, when we were uh, more simple mammals, we had a lot of we had scads of nipples. Right. Lots of nipples, and now we don't. Yeah, like many scads like of nipples. <laughs> And this disappeared hundreds of thousands of years ago, but... It still pops up still because pops that's up. how, yeah, Sometimes how it a nipple just pops up. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Chandler Bing had an extra nipple. There you go. That's true. There you go. Treated. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. I keep track of all these celebrities that have extra mm-hmm. nipples. Um, like Krusty the Clown. Remember yes, yeah, like yes. Krusty yeah. the Clown. Exactly. Um, also, uh, tail stumps can sometimes happen where it's like you're, it's just like an overgrowth of your spinal cord uh, into like the, the caudal region, like the tail region. And it, uh, you know, just like pops up sometimes. Right. And it's like we haven't had that for hundreds right. of years. Right. And if you got, if you quote, got rid of it, it would still be so, there. Yeah, exactly. Be, yeah. Interestingly, atavistic traits has been used by racist social Darwinists to claim that certain races are inferior, despite the fact that it just like disproves that whole idea. Uh, it, it proves you can't like selectively, quote unquote, breed out entire swatches of DNA uh, because like every... You know, every human has the capacity to have a child who has supernumerary nipples. I'm sorry to break it to you, (laughs) but it is true. And, you know, it's like these atavistic traits also pop up in animals, which is kind of fun. So snakes sometimes grow legs just like, whoops. Oh, God. We got legs again. Absolutely not. (laughs) Are they like little legs? Yeah, they're just little leg leggies kind of like just like dragging across as they slither around. Do the legs have feet? Yeah. Little what? feet, little do useless the, do feet. Do the feet have toes? Sure, yeah. Why not? Ew. <laughs> do they have joints? What's, what's so gross <laughs> about it? It's just like a long, 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 long lizard. Mm. Yes, that's <laughs> okay. exactly correct. Yeah. Sometimes horses grow extra toes. 
Heck yeah. Yep, just like a extra. It looks like a little miniature hoof growing on the end of the hoof. And so it's like on the on the other hoof. No, so. well, no. So like at the back of their hooves, you yeah. know, because like some like some ungulates, like animals that ha- are hooved animals, yeah. will have like not just the one big toe like the that horses have. Right, they have like more. Back, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Researchers have even used genetic modification to grow teeth in embryonic birds, mm. bringing back an, uh, dinosaur times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hmm. We are, like, the universe already decided that the dinosaurs lost and the birds are losers. Why do we have to bring them back? Why do we have, why do we have to uh, give them teeth? Well, I mean, why not give birds teeth? Look, I'm not saying I'm on the well, side of reasons. the birds. Sounds like you might I'm be. not saying I'm biased in favor of birds uh-huh. or that I have an entire Twitter account mm. devoted to making birds the supreme rulers of the planet. Mm. I'm just saying that I funded this research. <laughs> I may have funded this research. It's like it's Katie funded research, and I think birds should have teeth just for reasons. I don't can't. worry about just, it. Shh, don't don't uh, worry about it. Uh, don't worry about it. It scares me, Katie. I got to be honest. <laughs> so, as you may know, lack of genetic diversity in humans and animals can cause problems. Yeah. Uh, which this is, is a, yeah. Yeah. So, um, recessive genes stick around because they're overshadowed by dominant genes. Um, so, they're not expressed in offspring who have inherited the dominant genes. And but they're res- still there. Right, exactly. And recessive genes aren't always bad. Right. Like, I've got red hair and blue eyes. Doesn't make me, well. It does mean it does mean I don't have a soul. Boom. Okay. Right. okay. So yeah. 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 Say, yeah. The whole the, the, the whole, witch trying right. to bring back bird exactly. teeth with my mini extra nipples, mm-hmm. <laughs> with which I use to feed my tooth birds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, how they bite and pinch. Oh. <laughs> but uh, so, but sometimes recessive genes are like diseases that that harm us. But um, lack of diversity means that recessive genes are more likely to double up. And if the recessive genes happens to be harmful, such a disease, we have less protection against that. Uh, And also, look, determining which genes are good and bad is beyond our humble capabilities. So pleiotropy is when one gene affects multiple traits. So like if you get rid of a gene that you think is bad, it could have had a bunch of positive benefits that you've accidentally eliminated. And like vice versa, you could think, oh, this is a gene for being good and strong. And then it turns out it makes But it interacts with other stuff. And exactly, yeah. And in certain environments, it'll express itself in certain ways. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and gene expression is a big thing where it's like it's not just, you know, you got certain genes and that's it. Like gene expression is very mutable it's reactive yeah yeah and so even uh in the womb like you can have like development that affects certain traits that become tied to each other so have you noticed that like all domesticated animals have floppy ears and they usually have spotted coats yeah they do do. (laughs) so floppy ears are associated with calmer demeanors in domesticated animals so a wolf versus a cute little puppy And a wild boar versus a cute little peggy. Um, So this is actually potentially due, recent research suggests, uh, the neural crest cells, which are a type of stem cell that is in embryonic development. And the idea is that in domesticated animals, these cells are suppressed during development. And these neural cells are stem cells that control brain and head and other parts of the body development. And having fewer or suppressed neural crest cells uh, leads to a less developed adrenal medulla, 
uh, adrenal medulla. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Having a less developed adrenal medulla means a friendlier, more social dog or other domesticated animal. And the neural crest cells also control things like ear cartilage and fur fur coloration. So that's why when you take a wild fox and you try to – this was an experiment where they tried to breed – more calm, domesticated behaviors in these wild foxes, they get floppy ears and spotted coats despite the fact that they're not, like, the closest relatives to dogs. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just, yeah, a side side effect of this other Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Uh, That's fascinating. It really is. And I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, you would, if you were using sort of like the pseudoscience perspective, you're, you're like, oh, they have more repressed medullas or adrenal medullas, that means they're not as intelligent or, mm-hmm. or you know, but actually in that case, it means they're more socially, right. uh, you know, outgoing. Yeah, or you're like you'd look at the ears and you'd like to be like, oh, well, the, the actually the floppiness of the ears actually indicates like, I don't know, some bullshit to, right, like, to oh, stop them from be- being able to vote or whatever. Right, like, <laughs> like let's, let's pretend to be sort of a, a pop evolutionary psychologist just sort of trying to spin a, th- a yarn where you're like, okay, they have floppy ears because they look cuter and we selected the cuter dogs. Uh, you know, or like they don't need their ears to perk up anymore because we're protecting them, so they don't need to be as right, alert. Exactly. So the plot. Yeah, so yeah. like you can come up with all these stories. Um, or like they're and, fearful of sound, so they're like trying to mask themselves or whatever. Right. Like. So it's like you can come up with all these stories, but it's actually really difficult. Sometimes these are just a spandrel, which in evolutionary terms means like a physical change that doesn't really have any function. It's just the result of other construction sort Mm -hmm. of like in a building a spandrel is the space between like two archways and it's just it's not there for any real architectural purpose it's just there because it has to be there for this other yeah yeah yeah. exactly yeah like a a cocker spandrel (laughs) i did think that's where it was going (laughs) oh that's great Sometimes pseudoscience not only threatens people, but animals as well. Industries can use their political wealth and power to pervert the course of scientific research to the detriment of animals. Take, for instance, the humble salmon. In the early 2000s, a fishery biologist working for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration blew the whistle on the fact that he was being pressured to change the conclusions of his research to downplay the negative effect that hatcheries had on the salmon population. And now, currently under Trump, the Energy Department's International Climate Office received instructions to not use the terms, quote, climate change, emissions reductions, or Paris Agreement in their memos. Attacking real science to fit a political ideology is often referred to as lysankoism. It's a Russian word, I don't, <laughs> which was coined from the term used to describe the Stalinist policy of quashing any science that went against the theory of Trotham, Lysenko, who did not believe in natural selection. In fact, they even killed some of the scientists who believed in natural selection and who were against this theory. Trofin Lysenko thought that the genetics of crops could be changed by exposing wheat seeds to humidity such that the crop yields would be higher. Well, this wasn't true and it screwed over a lot of people who needed the crops to, you know, eat. This feels especially relevant now as climate science deniers and the current administration tries to downplay the seriousness of climate change as it could mess up the planet which we need to, you know, live on. So when we return, we'll discuss even more science quacks. And I don't mean adorable ducks who are scientists, I'm sorry. But if you have a picture of a duck in a lab coat, send it to me. (laughs) We'll be right back. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On a network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Throughout history, science has had a few growing pains. But for some reason, even as we prove certain theories wrong, they just keep popping up in modern society. Even today, there are flat earthers, anti-vaxxers, evolution deniers, and so-called race realists who try to lend credence to their ideologies by using pseudoscientific explanations that may have the veneer of truthiness, but when you actually think about it, they make no sense. The lack of science behind these truthy ideas are even more clear when you look throughout history. Unfortunately, some of these ideas are weirdly making a comeback, like phrenology. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about phrenology. Get your calipers out. <laughs> Get your calipers out, everybody. <laughs> Such a creepy thing, like so connected with the Nazis. It's just like, yeah. let's measure your skull so, shape. Ugh. So a little background. Uh, <laughs> phrenology is an old discredited pseudoscience claiming that skull shape determines personality and intelligence because when they're like distinct parts of the brain that like, this is your intelligence. This is your ability to cook. This is your right. niceness. Yeah, 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 those little diagrams. <laughs> like, yeah. And when they're bigger... They make bumps in the skull, and each bump correlates to a personality trait, so you can feel someone's skull. And phrenology has taken many shapes and forms, but, like, 
Um, that w- that's sort of the main thing that, that popped up in the 1800s. And there's kind of been a resurgence of people talking about skull shape where they point to it as an indicator of a difference in intelligence between like different groups of people like uh, based on sex or race, which is a problem because it's just there's no science to indicate that is true. Here's one big problem that is kind of obvious. So Neanderthals had much bigger skulls (laughs) and much bigger brains. And they lacked the, I mean, it's always hard to compare intelligence, but if you're like looking at it at the metric of human intelligence, they weren't as smart as us in that kind of aspect. Like humans were able to develop complex kind of second and third order tools where it's like you use a tool to make another tool Mm -hmm. to make another tool, which Neanderthals, it's thought that that's like one reason they didn't advance socially as much as we did. And obviously, so Neanderthals were around a lot longer than we've ever been around. And we've like just kind of exponentially uh, developed in terms of our civilization for better or for worse. But, you know, obviously in nature, there's not strong evidence to indicate that brain size and intelligence are always directly correlated. It's not that brain size and shape and stuff doesn't necessarily like have an effect on on how that brain functions, but it just it's not like as simple as a bigger brain or a smaller brain right. or a lesser more intelligence. Yeah, it's a very childlike um, view of it. Right, exactly. Like it's really first of all it's hard to measure animal intelligence as kind of a disclaimer, but if you use sort of human metrics of what intelligence is. Right, you're good at being a smart human. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So for example, an African parrot's head and brain is very tiny. But it's considered one of the smartest birds capable of outperforming four-year-old human children on simple physics tests. Really? Yeah. So, like, you know, the whole thing where you give a child, like, a a liquid, volume liquids, and they're like, here, I'm going to pour this liquid into a taller glass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And And then they're like, I want the taller glass because it's taller and (laughs) that's more orange juice and I want more juice. You, you can't fool an African gray parrot with that. Really? With really? That yeah, they're like, no, nah, dude, you trying to scam me? I've seen the scam. Mm-hmm. I invented this scam. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the sometimes the argument is that it's brain to body ratio. So African gray <laughs> parrots are more intelligent because they have a um, high brain to body ratio. So uh, research has, and just like kind of basic facts about animals doesn't really seem to indicate this is true. So here's here's kind of an example of why this is a problem. Humans have a brain-to-body ratio of, on average, about 1 to 40. Tree shrews have a 1 to 20 brain-body ratio. Dolphins have a 1 to 78 brain-to-body ratio. And dogs have a 1 to 125. And ants have 1 to 7. Really? Yeah. So according to this, ants are the most smart. Mm-hmm. Uh Tree shoes are also very, very smart. A lot of people are saying this. Uh, yes, and uh, that humans are not as smart as uh, the tree mm-hmm. shoes, mm-hmm. Um, which obviously is, you know, <laughs> it's true. Actually. I mean, it is true. Have you seen, have honest, you seen yeah. the tree shoes? They, they're, they've. I got, don't even know what a tree shoe is. To well, be honest. see, that's the thing. They're so secret. They've yeah. got they've got their entire secret society. So yeah, tree shoes are sh- so smart that they know what tree right. shoes are. <laughs> but. The point is that the idea of like brain body ratio, meaning like more intelligent, less intelligent, it's not to say that like, okay, yeah, if you have a brain that's like two neurons, yeah, that's going to be more simple than a brain right. that has like hundreds of thousands of neurons. But it's 
you can't just like look at an animal and be like, okay, that bird is small and that whale shark is big. Therefore, bird dumb, whale sharks yeah. small. Well, so you can't take smart. like, I mean, size and density are different things. And right. Like, what... And density in terms of brain is like, you know, one of the, the things is like brain folds can be an indicator of it. Like smoother brains are considered like maybe not at having as much neurological activity. But, you know, even then it's like you can't, you know, measuring these things doesn't necessarily uh, like the difference between gray matter and white matter. Like we don't really know right. how that translates to intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like that's often pointed to in gender differences as like an indicator that like, oh, well, there's a difference. But we don't actually see that reflected in like, you know, say like, you know, women and men who take like get the same scores on like Raven's tests, uh, which is a, a type of um it's another kind of type of IQ test that tries to eliminate a lot of cultural factors. Of course, you can't. Right. Uh, there's no test that is going to eliminate right. cultural influence. Well, at least you're like aware that you're, those exist yeah, it's, and it's, you're trying. Yeah, it's trying. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the gender scores are basically identical. And so it's, you know, it, it, it's one of these things where we don't, we just don't understand the brain well enough to be able to like point out like, huh, that brain is a lot, lot more, uh, you know, yeah fat than so, that one so it's better <laughs> so much of this just seems it's just a lot of grasping at straw or like knowing like i really want this to be a thing right uh and and speaking about it definitively when you just can't right exactly um i've seen like several conversations between like a jordan peterson and like a stefan molyneux who speak so definitively about these things and it's like well a, a lot of times they're just wrong right or they're just – it's not decided and it, there's so much nuance to it that to speak definitively right. about it makes me question what well, your intentions it's are. It's just so frustrating. We know that you don't know this answer. People don't know. The brain is hard to study. Like, yeah. And that's the thing. And I think that's an important distinction is what is their motivation for doing yes. this? Because obviously evolutionary biology and psychology are both fields that are plagued by um, just – it's really difficult to study. And that doesn't mean that it's not, they aren't worthy disciplines or that, you know, obviously I think they're extremely worthy uh, disciplines. And I think that, you know, trying to find out why behaviors came across and stuff, that's not, it's not, it's not all garbage science. It's just that it's so hard to figure these things out. It requires such detailed analysis and studies to parse out all of the um, conflicting variables and that, you know, we will try things sometimes and then like genuinely good natured studies that are really intellectually honest will sometimes be proven wrong later on. So it's like, what is your, so that motivation is actually very important because if you're doing a study where it's like, well, I think this beetle maybe uses its, um, chelicerae in like sexual selection and I'm just curious about this and I'm proposing this thing and I'm doing this study you're doing that it's like your your whole motivation is you're curious about this thing you Mm want to find out the truth when you're like you know maybe chicks can't just do can't do math and maybe Mm -hmm. it's okay to that they you know are oppressed in society or something right maybe it's okay yeah right they have a blatant motive for why they're trying right. to extrapolate this specific conclusion from something that doesn't have a conclusion. And usually the motivation, in my opinion, is to justify social inequality. Yes. So like to say that if certain, like if, if a gender or a race is not, at, doesn't have as many resources or rights as another one, that's okay because 
they're inferior. That's how it is. Yeah, that's just how the universe. It's and the, I'm. Yeah. It's like any time, like the burden of proof for that kind of claim is not only high morally, but just scientifically. Right. It's like you. I feel like you should just be very skeptical of anyone who makes a sweeping claim about human behavior, uh, in any capacity, especially though. If it's in that vein where it's like everything's no, don't don't rock the boat, stop trying to. Yeah, uh, it's. <laughs> I, it, yeah, you see it a lot. Um, it's, again, I keep coming back to Jordan Peterson, but like his like his lobster thing is very much like no hierarchies are good. Don't r- rock the boat because <laughs> the way lobsters operate, right, therefore right. society works the way it's supposed right, to. Right, as if yeah. I mean, it, that's so funny to me because of all the animals that you could have picked. Like a lobster is maybe one of the furthest. It isn't the furthest, but it's so far back on the evolutionary tree. Right. Like there's, uh, there's sea bugs. Like what are you doing, man? Like. <laughs> And and like just the idea that because it's also although they the are remember in the Little Mermaid like wasn't that was Sebastian a was a lobster oh he was a crab yeah so maybe we should looking be looking to crabs <laughs> right uh, that's actually uh, Disney propaganda um, oh I see for some feminism is bad or something like that, <laughs> I think. Um, but these also these it's always interesting because as we've sort of you've been talking about this whole time uh, making a claim like that from ev- evolutionary biological standpoint without like saying like have you have you talked to an anthropologist about this and historian about this and people who are aware of these kinds of things that are like oh actually that's related to this or like that wasn't always true and uh they don't seem to be open to all of the variables and the nuance that is required. Right, I wonder like, why. I wonder why. Well, also, <laughs> well, like I mean, we like Peterson about... doesn't want ethics right. panels for right. science. So, like... well, he has a specific agenda. Maybe he has he this. He wants. He basically wants like the fifties again, where women yeah. are yeah. in their place. You have sort of like you know, uh, white people have all the privilege, and you know, it's... and pseudo when, like, science was king. He also right. dips into like uh, low IQ people not participating in society and things oh, like that. Oh, that's nice. So eugenics. Yes. Yeah. So eugenics. Yes, he does. Well, <laughs> speaking of all this, uh, I want to end the show with something that is very funny. <laughs> um, well, it's terrible but funny. Oh. So physiog- <laughs> <that's kind of laughs> physiognomy, which is a Nazi furry's wet dream. Uh, look, I'm not, by the way, I'm not slandering all furries. Uh, oh, sure. Good job. Good job on kicking yeah, Milo Yiannopoulos out of that convention. Oh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. They're really taking a stance against the Nazis. Yeah, they're, the Nazi, um, they're, fur, Nazi furries are. Right? Furries, are ve- furries are very. Uh, they're diverse. Vigilant about yeah. keeping fascists and Nazis out of their. That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. The <laughs> so physiognomy is the idea that someone's outer appearance, such as facial structure, is an indicator of personality and intelligence. <sighs> so this was popular during ancient times, like uh, in, in ancient Greece uh, and in the Middle Ages and Renaissance. Um, one of the Claims was that animal-like features indicated a personality similar to that animal. So, like, <laughs> a lion-like face meant that the person was going to be more bold and brutish. And, like, a dog-like face is going to be more, like, submissive. Um, actually, let me show you some of these because it's extremely funny. Here's a, here's a science for you. <laughs> face, face looks more like lion. Therefore... Person oh more my like lion. Goodness. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, it's oh, that's so fascinating. Well, because also like there's an element of like people might treat you differently if you look like a lion. Yeah, yeah. And that might affect how, how your you, personality, how your behavior. Yeah. But like it's not. 
because of that. But also, it's just also they're, not. It's also they weren't like doing studies on personality. No, like no they looked at two pictures and like same, 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 same. Like here's one. See, he looked like dog. <laughs> therefore, so funny. Maybe he's like a dog. Look like um, dog, therefore is mm-hmm. right, and this uh, sounds like something that would just like ha- it, it would just be dismissed um, before the 1800s. But so this almost derailed the course of evolutionary biology research. So Charles Darwin was almost barred from sailing on the the Beagle because the captain was a fan of physiognomy. Oh. <laughs> so he didn't like the shape of Darwin's nose. So Darwin wrote, quote, this captain was an ardent disciple of Lavater, who I guess is a physiognomist, and he was convinced that he could judge a man's character by the outline of his features. And he doubted whether anyone with my nose could possess sufficient energy and determination for the voyage. But I think he was afterwards well satisfied that my nose had spoken falsely. (laughs) (laughs) Drag him, Darwin. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You burnt. Drag him to church. Oh, my gosh. It's so... So it's just, I mean, it's silly, it's funny, but I think it's kind of like, it's fun to laugh at it, but I think it's a really good reminder that like, just be alert for these kinds of things. Anyone telling you something that kind of seems like snake oil, like, hey, if he's got a face that looks like a bird, maybe he's bird-like. Like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I I mean, I've seen uh, just kind of, anecdotally like this a sort of um more of these kind of things of like well maybe you know like skull shape or like face shape or whatever you know has some kind of thing to do with personality and it's just just be alert to that just just be skeptical yeah Yeah. and like being legitimized by people who have the air of authority and there's so many grifters that have a platform and are being elevated that you know, things are happening today across the board that you wouldn't have been able, you wouldn't expect to happen. So, yeah, it's a very good warning to be on guard for this kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the PragerU website. but Oh, it yeah, is. we're familiar. The, uh, the website that says not an accredited university. Yes, yeah. yes. So that, funny. That's the one. Mm-hmm. It is weird how because they do get like they will get professors on there and such so it's like it's not that it's all just like ben shapiro you know whining about pronouns or whatever um uh, but owen benjamin talking about how (laughs) comedy is dying and then turning into a nazi whoops um but yeah so it's like it's kind of trying to legitimize a lot of these these things and and right it's it's looking at it as a whole like there are i mean they even have a video about how the civil war was actually about slavery it's like, Wait. good job, Prager you. Oh, they, they do have They a do have one, Oh, yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's confusing to me because typically yeah, they're I like... Right, you would think the opposite. So- yeah. Um, but again, that's like, oh, they, they, try did, to, they, they did it once. They like, try to make job. it legitimate, but then they'll have one on... Uh, <laughs> they had one where it was like, uh, it was by Prager himself. Oh, yeah. Dennis His Prager, where he was talking about the power of the visual. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but it was like saying that men are just hardwired to be more attracted to 
uh, visual stimuli and they were aroused by visuals, whereas women won't aren't and they are, they can't <laughs> understand just it. Not. And uh-huh. so, um, and and he's like, that's this is not to justify sexual assault. I'm like, whoa, buddy, what, what do you, does what? this whoa. lead? What is this? <laughs> um, oh god, they know. Like, yeah, they know. Oh they gosh. know that. That's but it's it, basically saying women or men are attracted by visual. Stimuli like hot ladies. Of course, it's the all red he- lips. It's, it's the red lips. It's all, right, exactly. Yeah. It's all heteronormative, of course. Like right, it's always right. men attracted. Although he does mention like, oh, well, you know, women don't look at pornography, but gay men look at pornography or whatever. <sighs> I, I don't even know. Citation I, needed. Women <laughs> will look at pornography. Speaking of citations needed, a study found that even though women, when they were sort of surveyed, they may report less being like visually uh, stimulated when they actually measured their brain responses, mm, yeah. brain activity, identical to men yeah. when they were shown, um, you know, like sexual yeah. images. Hell yeah, it was. So, you know, of course it, it was. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of these things where you can have again, it's so hard to separate culture from biology and where, expectations. Right. And exactly. Yeah. So. I mean, for example, obviously different cultures, different clothing styles, different things are considered attractive. We used to get hard about ankles. Right. You know, so it's I just if you take one thing away from this whole fun journey through pseudoscience is if something sounds like a big claim, it might be. And just check out the citation, like read the studies it's based on. Oftentimes those studies will, you know, maybe not actually say what the person is saying they're saying right like, there'll be like an extra sentence yep, that they didn't include right. and, and there and it's not like all it's not like studies are always perfect like there could be a study that makes a claim like or they do something and then in the discussion section they're like we think maybe this but they don't that, that's just an assumption right so, there they're oftentimes studies like that are used to say that a thing is true when right. studies like Maybe it's yeah, this. Yeah, they're I don't know. speculating. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, uh, you know, and studies can be flawed, too. I mean, that's not to, I don't think people, you know, don't not trust the, the bit larger body of scientific right, right. research. But just, you know, I think being having a sort of critical eye for things is really important, especially if someone's trying to trying to tell you, button up your shirt, keep your shoulders straight, and don't have women in the workplace. Yeah, <laughs> if it's like, if there's like a political or social agenda that's clear, or like right, a yeah. conclusion that's being made, and it's based off of this kind of stuff, right. question that. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really misused a lot, and again, more and more and more uh, by publications and figures. That's fun. Yeah. That is cool. How fun. What fun we've had. <laughs> what fun we've had. I feel like if I w- if you did physiognomy on my face, I'm trying to think what I would look like. I feel like human being, I don't know. A human <laughs> being. That's a good one. Yeah. It's pretty good. I think I think a human being, right? Your I face think looks definitely. Like a human being. That means you act like a human being. Yeah. You know, you look like a human being and act like a human being. You might be a human yeah, being. Yeah, a mm. human being. Also, like the idea that like all like one species of animal has like a personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is also weird. Like, 
Right. I mean, look at any dog. We can right. different behavior than dogs. Probably like, not true. Like also the lion-like face. Uh, I'm, I might post this online, but like the lion-like face. It was also their mustache and beard hair. Right, like, yeah. as if it was, that's yeah, like, yeah. It was like the hairstyle right, too. Right. It was like, I mean, if you cut your like, hair, Cody, you don't look like a lion. Cody, like, you have a beard, so clearly you are like a lion. Yeah, and you, exactly. You eat babies. Yes, okay. but if I were to shave, my personality would change. You would suddenly I would stop eating babies. You would yeah. stop eating babies. Which I mean, maybe you should shave, Cody. You no, shave. I haven't. I mean, I've been trying either. to say this to him for a while now. It's very distracting. At the, the office, the, the eating the babies. Yeah, I mean, and then he doesn't finish them, so we've got like. Oh, I mean, they're all babies. What? Yeah, that's how I, you well, get I ants, understand, Cody. But like, we get ants, and one time we came back to the office, and there was just a room full of flies. Was that the baby though? It might have been my coffee was drink. It the, was it? <laughs> Well, this has been a delight. Uh, so, do you guys want to talk a little bit about all the things that you do? Because you do a lot of things. You do a lot, yeah, of, things. We do a lot of things. Sure. Um, we have uh, our own podcast called Even More News. That's correct. Um, our YouTube show is called Some More News. That's correct as well. And you can uh, check us out on patreon.com slash some more news if yep. you'd like to support us. Uh, and we got, you know, T Fury, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Social media is all Some More News. And then um, our new show our with new Robert show. Evans is called Worst Year Ever. It will ha- be released. Yeah, it's on all Releasing the stuff. when um, you hear this. Um, but all yeah, the social media stuff Worst, is worst Year, year Pod. pod. Yes. Yeah. I'm so looking forward to that. It's going to be fun and awful. Uh, basically, we're yeah we're, we're doing everything 2020. Uh, you know, yeah. For the rest of this year, we're going to be going in-depth on candidates and talking about uh, different issues and things like that. And, and then next year, like new sources. Yeah. Um, next year, we're going to start traveling around, going to conventions. Nice. And Thank you for taking that weight upon your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it was exciting. It still is, but now it's like, oh god, there. It's happening. That's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can find us on on the internet. Uh, CreatureFeaturePod.com CreatureFeaturePod on Instagram CreatureFeetPod on Twitter F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T That is a um, And uh, you can find me at Katie Golden and at ProBirdRights where I say we give teeth to birds Oh! <laughs> and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their awesome song Exolumina Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? 
a wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.